Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. When people get hung up is when they don't have the authority to act without some other group's constant blessings. And then they're like, I got to be there. I got to be in the room. Instead of being like, you go make glass that doesn't break. We'll build the car door. And they're just like, great, I can make glass that doesn't break however I want. And yeah, go do that. I don't need to come to your stupid door meetings then. Like, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in glass that doesn't break. And then when it's ready, I'll let you know. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Rodney Evans, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Dignan. Hello, hello. On today's episode, we are going to talk about team size, a topic that has been much on our minds lately. But before we do, let's do a check-in. Yes, we're going to check in. Let's get super duper present because it's been a wild week already. And I thought we would start with a check-in question that actually you came up with, which is, um, what are you into right now? What are you just like, what are you sweating? What are you excited about? What are you obsessing? Where is your head going when you're not thinking about work? I have different answers depending on which of those questions I answer. Good. But the answer I'm going to give you, because I think you'll find it amusing, is this one. I got a new car, as you know. I got the same car as Aaron, you guys, because (laughs) when I was last in Denver and I was asking for his advice on cars, he was like, you moron, just get this car. So I got the same car as Aaron. And the feature that this car has is karaoke. (laughs) And I am... Obsessed. So obsessed. Every time someone is in my car, I'm like, pick a song, sing a song, sing a fucking song, sing a song. And it's so funny. It just makes the time go by so fast. On the way home from the lake on Monday, Ed and I sang Bohemian Rhapsody together. Amazing. Ah, We've done such that a one. Time. That's classic. Such a time. I love yeah. it. Yeah. You can't go wrong with that at all. All right. Well, I love I love that for so many reasons because, as you know, I'm in the business of selling people on what to buy stuff that has nothing to do with me. (laughs) When you you just are like, get this, and then I just do it now. I don't even argue with you anymore. I just do what you tell me. But (laughs) in this one narrow sliver of our relationship, when it's about buying shit, I just do what you tell me to do. I'm like, aura ring, check. New car, check. You just tell me what, and I'll just do it. Amazing. So I guess the thing I'm really into right now that I did not expect, it's a total left turn from what you just said. That was a pun, by the way. I The the <laughs> thing that I'm into that I did not expect is that Brit, the Lady Dignan, has been pushing for kind of like really minimizing the amount of grass in the front yard for mm, several smart. years and for eco reasons and maintenance reasons and all sorts of reasons. And they finally came and they scraped it down to nothing. And yeah. then they rebuilt it back up. And there's like a three foot strip of grass by the curb. But everything else is like English garden mulch and plants and bushes and peonies and little pebble paths and everything. And I thought I was going to hate it, but I actually really like it. Like whenever I'm out picture. there, I just, 
I will. I'll definitely send you a picture. It just feels so serene. It's so much calmer. In some way, now I feel like grass is like super aggressive. Oh, well, yeah. Grass is very like, um, grass is like traffic light energy. Yeah, yeah. The grass is just like, like, oh, you got to stay in the lines and like it can't be over this height. And like if weedy grasses get in there, we have to expunge them. Yeah, grass is like there's only room for me. That's- yeah, there's a lot of control in grass. <laughs> so, of course, no, oh, I've come I need around. to talk to Bray about this because I've been pushing for like hardscaping because yeah. I live in the South and it's yeah, hot yeah. and everything's going to die here. Anyway, there you have it. So, that's my obsession. Sweet. You're deep into the techie car and I'm uh-huh. into the grass being gone. I love it. All right. So, I feel like this is mostly what I want to do today is just chat about nonsense. But instead, <laughs> we're going to talk about team size. So, I'll start by asking you. Does size matter? Could not resist. Uh, I think it. I think it matters a lot, and it's come up at work for us. You and I have been talking about this in the context of some of our circles and teams in the company. I've also been thinking about it in the context of Murmur users and watching them come in and try to govern and have different groups and group sizes. And so I do think it matters, and I think it's under discussed in the sense that most write ups and and articles and videos that you see about team size or even academic papers about it are kind of studying like what's the ideal size for a group of people in the same room doing operations work like this is an intact team that will be together for the rest of the year what's the right size of that group but there's so many other situations and contexts now about like how are we collaborating are we in the same space or not what are we actually doing together is it a short thing or a long thing a small thing or a big thing how many different kinds of skills are involved and required, like all this stuff. And it has me thinking that there's just like, there's a lot more juice in the orange to squeeze in the conversation about size. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to put it out there and start talking about it. And maybe to throw it back to you, as you think about your experience with the ready and with clients, what are like the major issues that you've seen with team size where it's been a problem or something that's like gotten in the way. And then maybe we can reverse engineer into like, what does it look like done well? And in what contexts? So, I mean, I, I, first of all, part of the reason I was so excited about this is because I do see it all the time. And like (laughs) so many times in first conversations with clients, when they're telling me about a meeting or a team and they'll be like, yeah, there are about 40 people. And I'm like, that's not a team. So (laughs) let's just start. (laughs) <laughs> with the fact that that is a group of people right. who know each other's names, best case scenario. So to me, a team to be a real team has interdependence. And ideally, there is interdependence between every role. Right, right. Like I almost think if that is your heuristic, it's pretty hard to make a mess. If it's like everything that any one of us is doing I have a real interest in, a real stake in. I have to like pay for it either emotionally or with allocation of dollars. I have to help execute it. I have to give advice on it. Like I should feel like when I'm in source circle, anything that someone is updating on or triaging or bringing for consent, I feel like I have a real point of view on and a real stake in the outcome. I tend to agree with with everything you just said, and I find that those relationships and that relevance and those connections are are also related to trust and the idea mm. that you know you know enough about a role, about a person, about a situation that there's just like a little bit of shared soup, and so you're not weighing in from this completely 
independent context-free lens. And, and when you get together, there's a lot to talk about because you actually yeah. have, you have things that you need each other for. I think it's really dangerous when you don't need each other. And, and when there is no interdependence in a team, I think it's inversely dangerous when a bunch of teams really need each other, uh, you know, too much and they're too interdependent. Then you have like a functional organization that's kind of in trouble because the teams can't ship anything. But inside the team, I actually think you want quite a bit of, of interdependence because it, it creates that like shared purpose and that shared meaning. And I was, as you were talking, I was just wondering out loud, like, what are some reference points for team size where it's the difference between that like 40 person bulky group and an actual team that's performing? And yeah. and hilariously, because I play virtually no sports and watch literally no sports, my mind went <laughs> to sports because this is American culture and I can't resist, I guess. And yeah. And one of the thoughts that I had was when you were talking about 40 people, I was like, there are a lot of people on the bench in any mm. given sport. Like, you know, if you mm-hmm. said like, how big is a basketball team? Well, yeah, there are five people on the court, but there are like 50 people on the sideline that do all these different mm-hmm. jobs. But the people actually performing as a unit at that moment are are five people. So I looked this up and a baseball team is nine, a basketball team is five, a field hockey team is 11, football is 11, ice hockey is six, lacrosse for men's is 10 and women's is 12, don't know why, uh, polo is four. I mean, you get you get a really quick sense of like, how many people can you put on a field in any country in the world with the yeah. intent to do something before it's just pandemonium, right? Mm-hmm. And and the literal highest one is is rugby union and Australian football, which are 15 and 18. And as I understand it, those sports are complete mayhem. I mean, it's like just watching like a riot. <laughs> in the best so, way. But yeah, like, I'm not sure life. that that's like I'm the org design. I don't know that that's like the first principle of org design for a team yeah. is rugby. Yeah, in but Australia I just it's interesting because <laughs> you know you hear in the in the academic research like seven plus or minus two, and that sure plays out when you look it's at right all these there. different sports with all these different histories and origins and all that. So I don't know what that means, but it certainly seems like a, a jumping off point for the combo. Yeah, I mean, I just am very biased towards seven. Yeah, and and here's the thing that I notice: I feel like sometimes when I'm in a really small team, like three. I get, I energetically have the feeling of like, oh, fuck, we're going to have to execute every single idea that we come up with. Right, we're it. Like three of us that are like really close collaborators are going to have way more ideas than we have time or discipline to ever execute. And like that can feel like a shitty feeling to be like, woof, this is like a big lift for a small group. Now, obviously, there's ways to chunk work differently and to sprint differently and all of that stuff. But there's something about seven that just feels kind of magical to me because it feels like there's enough divergence and enough diversity of perspectives that you're not getting it's like tipping into groupthink mm. but there's not they're not at that size if organized around work properly you don't have a lot of people who are just like kind of passengers along for like the ride. Yeah. weigh in because they're in the room, but like they don't really know enough about the context or about yeah. the craft or whatever to like do so in a way that's really additive. One of my favorite scenes in the movie in the loop, which is my favorite British comedy is one of the like, you know, ministers has been invited to a meeting and he's asked what he's supposed to do. And they're like, mm-hmm. you're meeting the room. <laughs> And he's like, meet in the room. 
<laughs> yes, you're meat in the room. Uh, yeah. he, he's not psyched about that. But yeah. um, but a lot of people are happy to be doing that. I, I'm i curious if you think, as you were saying three and then seven, is there like a feng shui odd number thing with team dynamics? Do you prefer a team of three, five, seven, nine over an even numbered team? Well, I... I didn't ever think about it until right now, but then as you were rattling off the sports teams, I couldn't help but notice that all the major <laughs> sports have odd numbers, which is just funny. Right. Um, Ice hockey was the only one with an even number. Ice hockey and polo, and I assume polo it has to do with the horses. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I assumed water polo, not horse polo. Oh, yeah. I mean, that definitely makes you can't have that many horses and right. mallets swinging around. Yeah, you're right, field. though. There's fives, there's nines, there's elevens. Yeah. There, there definitely are a lot more of that, especially in the popular sports. And I Ultimate mean, Frisbee has seven. The, ultimate Frisbee is what we should be modeling ourselves after, obviously. It's a great sport. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know. I mean, I'm curious your opinion about that. Because you mentioned feng shui, the only thing that my mind goes to is like the archetypal seven card in the Marseille tarot sure. is the chariot. Yep. And the chariot is about action in the world and like progress and travel. And mm. also in the imagery of the chariot, you have like the chariot driver, and then you have two horses that are trying to pull in opposing directions. Yeah. And so the chariot is about That's like deciding there. where and how you're going to go. And that it, to me, that is always like big seven energy. That's interesting. And of course, you're also an Enneagram seven. So, and my birth month is a seven. I'm a wow, real seven have, head. You have a lot going on numerologically yeah. with seven. I, I do tend to prefer odd numbered teams all the way down to one, by the way. Um, because <laughs> is because one a team, Aaron? <laughs> it is if you bring all your personalities <laughs> and all your voices. Um, the, the reason is that I do feel like it breaks, like the water breaks one way or the other. There's an energetic potentiality in a, in an odd number where you're gonna have, you know, three out of five or, or two out of three or four out of seven or more that can like move the energy and the strategy and, and allow things to kind of go where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it feels like that potential for, for directionality and for tie breaking is just worth the squeeze. Like you'd rather have that one more perspective so that you have a, a faster chance to break. Interestingly, as a bit of a like natural systems nerd, if you think about a, like a flying V flock of birds, it's one at the front and then pairs going back. So it's inherently odd unless it's mm-hmm. uneven on one end. And that is also interesting. Like it's just, I think you sort of see that in more places than maybe you'd expect. And going back to the tarot example, you just reminded me also, like odd numbers in the tarot, besides the chariot, all odd numbers <laughs> in the tarot are about like movement and motion and progress and action. And even numbers are about like reception and integration and pausing. Right. So it's funny that you said Stability. that, that like odd numbers sort of like break and flow. Yeah. And like even numbers, at least, you know, in this in this particular discipline yeah, yeah. are about like, you know, ingesting and digesting and integration. Yeah. The uh, stability that's funny. of the four-legged that's so interesting. Table. So yeah. wait, let me ask you, okay. what's your favorite team size? Don't take don't say seven because it's taken. I won't. Um Great. I I think for me, I do really well with like a five person team size. It's small enough that you get some of the nimbleness benefits of the three and also just like introvert benefits for me where you can really know each other and you can really let your guard down and you can really have fun in that like safety of the circle. And yet you still do get like 
a little bit more diversity of opinion and capability than than in a trio. And there's there's room for like a more functional organism. Because if you just think about all the work there is to do in a team, like you said, with three, everybody's carrying a lot of water. Like there's just no room for specialization really, or very little. Whereas with five or seven, you start to get into territory of like, yeah, we could have somebody doing this and somebody else doing that. And and there's still room for three other people to go have a brainstorm, you know? Yeah. So I, it keeps the lights on better for me. I'm definitely okay with seven, especially in a, in a governance context. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm trying to like, you know, it's the old saying, like, if you want to go far versus if you want to go fast, right? And yeah. I think if, if I'm doing governance or something like that, where the going far part matters a lot, like getting it right and being really perspective driven, I think I'm happier with larger numbers. But in terms of like operations or creativity or like the spark of something new, I think I'm almost the smaller, the better at some level, because mm-hmm. we can just haul ass. And it's mm-hmm. there's really almost no decision making there's a lot more intuiting and acting which i like and you don't have to worry about people like i wonder does does phil have enough to do it's like there's no worry of that in a three or a five um, or really you know too much in a seven as well but yeah i think day to day i'm i'm loving a five person you're a fiver yeah so for all of the people listening right now which i bet is the majority who are like (laughs) "Er -er." (laughs) our team is 15 um Let's talk about how to start breaking that because Mm. it's, you know, we can't just wait for the leader to come to these realizations and then for them to solve everything. We have to learn from our podcast brethren and then go do shit ourselves. So (laughs) if you're sitting on a team and you're like, you know what? A lot of this does sound familiar. There is meat in the room. And also we aren't designed for decisions or creativity or action or progress or interdependence or whatever. How do you start to unscrew that. Yeah. Well, I think the first instinct that comes to mind for me, and I'd be curious where where your head goes, is just dividing the contexts. So Mm. of course, in a perfect world, you have like the structure of the company matches the structure of the work matches the best practice in terms of team size. Mm -hmm. But you know, for most of us, good luck with that. Like that's not gonna, that's not gonna happen. You shouldn't wait for that day. Yeah. Don't cross your fingers. So instead I'm thinking about, let's just divide the nature of the work up and then see if we can organize differently around the different natures. So if we are talking about, you know, status updates or brainstorming or sense making or, or processing like large, large things, maybe, maybe the larger committee is okay. If we're thinking about governance, maybe we want it to be a little bit smaller. And so we talk about, is there a way to break down the work of this group into a couple big buckets that we can hold more independently and be a little bit more like tightly aligned, loosely coupled as a bunch of groups. And then down at the project level, can we get way more aggressive about empowering these projects with good charters, good agreements that say, here's the mission, and then getting the three to five to seven to people on it and getting the hell out of the way and not including all those groups in some kind of central op rhythm that's supposed to gather all that shit together I think, yeah. I think that's what I've enjoyed most about the Ready's initiatives. We've learned a lot about what mm. not to do. But one of the things I love is we're kind of like once every 120 days, here's a thing, go do it. And whatever group coalesces around it goes and does it and has their own opera them. And we don't really bother them again. Yeah. You know, like there's there's like one moment a month where we're like, hey, what's going on with that thing? But that's a four minute discussion. It's not even a meeting. Yeah. So I do I do like that, like kind of set it and forget it model if you have to have a bigger committee or or governing group pushing the work at, down as far to the edge as you can mm-hmm. operationally 
What would you add or take away? Mm, I wouldn't take anything away. Sweet. Uh, that that all resonates. I think for the people who are a little stuck in the middle of this swirly mud right now, there are a couple of easy moves to start with. One is a lot of times when I see a group that's a really big group that calls itself a team, there's a subset of that group that gets together to do real work. So first of all, just know <laughs> that's the actual team. You're talking about the so SLT versus the ELT? Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. The SLT is not the team. The ELT is the team. <laughs> when there's a subset, that's the team. So that's the shorthand because that probably already exists in a lot of cases. 100%. And so, and, and so like, you know, I know I'm being a little flippant about it, but for real, real, if that does exist, then just call it what it is. And then also understand what is the purpose that that larger group is fulfilling? Because there might be one. And if that larger group is fulfilling the purpose of giving advice or being inputs to decision, or they're going to have to do a lot of the execution that's decided in the smaller group, then that's totally fine. But design a different kind of interaction with them. So if it's like, you know, the ELT is really the group that's making the decision, the decisions or like this cross-functional product team is really the group that's making the product. But then like we need sales and ops and pricing and finance and supply chain because we, they're responsible for getting the product to market. Fine. The product team is the team and that group figure out what their role is and then design for that. So if it's like, Pricing just needs like the updated roadmap and spreadsheet to forecast. Maybe you can just do that through Slack or through Notion. If it's like the salespeople are the voice of the customer and we need their feedback and input, maybe they're doing like a demo day and a product steering meeting once a month. Like I would start to get clear on what the big group is actually contributing because it's probably something. And then I would chop it up and design for the work to be done rather than being like, we have this giant blob. We come together to do basically a repeat of the core team's meeting. And it kind of sucks for most people. I think sadly, my experience with that dynamic is that a big, big, big reason for its existence is just so those people can be stroked. Oh, totally. It's ass covering and like ego stroking. Yeah, like the the super senior team knows that if they completely box those folks out, they're going to feel disempowered and, you know, not informed. But if they bring them all the way in, the team's too big. And so what they do is this like half-assed middle instead of really identifying like what do we actually need to decide at this level and this altitude and how much can we push out to those groups so that they don't have to wonder about what we're doing or, or hope to be in it. They're busy doing exactly what they want to be doing with a total amount of authority. I think that is the thing that I find most frustrating is there's like a little bit of a have cake and eat it too scenario there that is not not particularly helpful. And if you actually get clear on like representation and and Mm -hmm. circle linking or nesting, you'd be like, cool, there are seven people in this team making some decisions and setting some strategies. They fan out into the enterprise and bring with them a massive amount of authority that they immediately distribute to the groups that they actually work in day to day. And and the thing can hum and we don't have to play pretend about having a 40 person senior leadership team, which is not really useful to anybody. Yeah. And I think one thing that is really important about what you just said is when you get into representation, really try to design for 
authority, not information. So what I see a lot of times is like we have a lot of representatives in this meeting so that they can cascade this information to their team. Yeah, that ain't it. Don't fucking do that. Like just right. make a loom or like put it in, put the update in a, a public channel or like yeah. record the meeting or something like yes. having 30 people there half listening, let's be honest, and like theoretically taking notes so that at their team meeting, they can go, nothing really happened in this week's mm-hmm. monthly QBR. Right, that would be an MBR. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, if you're going to have reps, those reps in the place should be representing someone and right. really like have the authority to do that representation. Yep. Otherwise, reps that are just information messengers aren't real links to anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that makes perfect sense to me and I think it's it's the missing link really is the difference between informed and mm-hmm. actually having authority. And 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 it's where most teams get really lost when they dive into the terrible exercise of creating like a racy. Yeah. Um, and Ooh, they create this, this wild matrix of of you know different kinds of responsibility and authority and agency and information flow instead of just being like if you're here you're family you know that 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 needs to be the the modality and if you're not then ideally you're somewhere else with enough authority and agency to go do real shit and yeah. so you don't you don't care what's going on in that context and i think that's when people get hung up is when they don't have the authority to act without some other group's constant blessings and then they're like, I got to be there. I got to be in yeah. the room. Instead of being like, you go make glass that doesn't break. We'll build the car door. Right. And they're just like, great. I can make glass that doesn't break however I want. And yeah, go do that. I don't need to come to your stupid door meetings then. Like, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in glass that doesn't break. And then when yeah. it's ready, I'll let you know. And so one thing I want to ask you about to be really tactical is like when you are in a meeting where there is representation. So any kind, like for us, this is a circle thing, but for a lot of people, it's not circles. It's cross-functional. But the point is we're gathered together to do some shit. And most of the people here are representing a function or a team or a project perspective or whatever. What is the authority that you want that representative to show up like vested with? Well, I think it's probably two way. Number one, I, I guess, let me say this. There, here's the caveat. Whatever we've agreed to in writing. So the caveat is it could be a variety of things and I'd be okay with it as long as the role and its authorities and its decision rights and its like responsibilities in that moment are clear. And then I, then I would feel pretty, pretty good about it. But I think my preference is that when someone is coming on behalf of others their first bit of authority is from those others to represent their interests. Yeah. And their second bit of authority is from the group that they're joining, which is to have a consent right in major decisions and goings on of that group so that they can, they can make sure that at least at a minimum, what's decided upon is safe to try from the perspective of their represented, you know, context. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're not saying that they have a, a mandate or a veto, right? That's like, you know, going to shut things down, but they have a consent right where they get to say what is and isn't safe. And if they have issues with something, maybe they can make suggestions uh, that would that would resolve their their tension in the way forward. That feels like pretty, pretty standard rules of the road for me. So the people that they're repping know that they're being repped and have trusted the person to do it. And the people collaborating with that rep have given them at least a consent right in the in the key outcomes of the group. Yeah, I like that. 
you know, as a starting point at least. And then I think modify that with, with by by modifying the agreements. Because we were talking earlier today about the idea that like, if I hold a role, and I mean literally me, if I hold a role that takes me like an hour a month in in one of our core team meetings, do I really need like a full-on day-to-day ops role? Do I need a day-to-day governance right in the goings-on of that circle for my one-hour sliver of the total context sharing that I'm doing? Probably, probably not. not. Yeah. You know, and as I say that out loud, I'll probably get kicked out of a couple more circles this I week. I was just going to say, I'm going to really miss you. Yeah, I know. I'll audit for fun and for entertainment. Um, but but honestly, like I'd be happier. I'd be happier to work at a place that kicks me out than a place that that doesn't have any discipline around that. Because what ends up happening is you you bloat and you bloat and bloat and bloat until there's no coherence anymore, and there's no like speed, and there's no sense of of team identity. It would be yeah. it would be as if you were you were talking about like the people on the field and the example we were talking about earlier. You know, no one is just like, eh, let's let's throw one more person on the soccer field. Right. <laughs> you right. can't do that. It completely and disrupts the game. If you like really take an org designer's view of what Aaron is saying right now, I think what's cool about this, if if done well, is like if Aaron is holding a role in source, which is our steering representative cross-functional circle, they really might call takes it an, an SLT. Hour. You could call it <laughs> um, that really takes him an Probably. hour a month. And and therefore, based on what he's saying, he shouldn't be in that group anymore, have governance rights in that group anymore. Rather than allowing the bloat or what I see too often, like designing for the individual and being like, well, it's Aaron. So yeah. like, we'll just keep him here because like we want his voice in the mix. It's like, okay, if both of those things are true, and we want Aaron in the mix and the role that he's holding right now would not get him a ticket to this party. <laughs> to this show, yeah. What is the role that he should hold? Like if his yeah. voice is so important in this, then shouldn't he be carrying the attendant water? Right, and to right. me, that's a really nice thing actually to anchor toward because because usually it goes one way or the other. Usually we get like too mm-hmm. surgical about like this role is in and that role is out. Or too personal, and it's like yeah. well, we want Will, so let's just make some shit up or like make break the rule up. for him because of the person. And it's like the third way that's more interesting is if there is a particular tension around someone being out or being in. What would the contribution be that would make sense to make use of that person's capacity and talents? Yeah, that's interesting. I like that, and I think there is. It's you know, this is complexity, right? So there is a continuum between the amount of time that you dedicate to a team, which is always, you know, variable for folks in different sizes of projects and and initiatives and and ongoing teams, and also like the importance of the role that you play totally. in that moment. So, so as an example, like when you have an investor in a startup they might only come to the board meeting once a month and that's their whole contribution. So it's a small sliver. But on the other side, they do write the checks. They keep everybody employed. And ultimately, if they're going to write another check in a future round, their knowledge of what's going on and their ability to weigh in and shape the future of the company is relevant. So if you're playing that game, if you're playing the investor game and and there are pros and cons to that, the the weight of the role might outweigh the the scope of the role in terms mm-hmm. of how much influence you want them to have and that's true for any role at, at any time but i think at least having the discussion as a team like you know are we talking about the person grabbing the tennis ball on the tennis court 
or or the people that are playing and and what does that mean in terms of how we want to design our opera them and our meetings and our governance and our you know and our team identity i think that's pretty important the other thing that i wanted to ask you about as a slight pivot is how this shifts in a world where how and where we're working is also shifting a lot so mm. when you talk about a remote team when you talk about a hybrid team when you talk about a an asynchronous team like i've been coaching an organization who effectively has almost no meetings like once a really? month yeah like just virtually nothing and so cool. and so it, it begs the question then of like what are the team dynamics when you don't have a bunch of zoom going on or you don't yeah. have anything synchronous going on so i'm curious what you think about that does that change the rules of the game in any interesting ways i think it probably does so where my mind went first was to a place that's just like about, you know, presenteeism. And I feel like in a remote world, yeah. in traditional organizations, there is a bit of a drumbeat right now around people showing up to things just to prove that they're there. Right. I'm you alive. Know, it's like we're at this interesting moment, I think, in terms of remote and hybrid work where like, there was this long period of time where companies had no choice. And so we just had to live yep. with it. And there were, there was mistrust and, you know, surveillance and nonsense yeah. going on, uh-huh. but it wasn't like there was really an alternative. It was like, well, you know, what are you going to do about it? This you know? It. And now that it feels like we've sort of got a foot in both camps, I think there's a, like, I get a real sense from execs I'm talking to of like trust, but verify like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's worked for two years, but like now maybe we should like rethink whether it's really working. (laughs) And like, now that we do have a choice, are people going to take advantage? You know, all the things that I obviously think are nonsense, but are really present right now. And so I'm only saying that to say, I actually think that in a remote or hybrid environment, it can feel even harder to be to be honest about some yeah. of this stuff because it feels yeah. like well well shit if i get if i get bounced out of that meeting that's the only time of the week that i like see rodney right or like that's the only time of the week that i like show these people what my team is Mm -hmm. up to. And if they're telling me that like, they don't need me there to show them that, like, does that mean my work isn't important or my team isn't important or like that we're not going to get rewarded or recognized or people won't see our contribution and TBH working in a totally remote and like very reputational based system. I think that shit is real. Yeah. Like I think that shit is not a thing to be overlooked or scoffed at. Right. It's just that sitting in meetings 40 hours a week is not, it's you know, that's going to that's gonna make a different kind of mess. That's Yeah, it's not the alternative. So I do think there's a thing there because when we're all sitting in a room together and like you can just see that like I'm cranking all day and that like when everybody goes into the board room, I'm like, screw you guys, I'm working on something important. Yeah. Like that is a different dynamic than like I wonder if she's at yoga right now. Yeah. Which yeah. incidentally I probably am, to be honest. Well, with you. and it's funny, you're you're making me think of a bunch of things related to to murmur that are rela- that are on topic here. One is... We have two agreements, one implicit, one explicit, that are related to this. One is an agreement that used to be called Loom Love, and now it's getting a new name because it's going to be more multimedia. But essentially, the agreement is roughly every day or every other day, people are sharing one minute, like exact, like literally 60-second looms of what's something that you've been up to. You know, mm-hmm. what did you learn today? What did you try? What did you work on? How is it going? What is WIP looking like? And it is, it is a little bit of scratching that itch that you're describing of like wanting to go to the meeting and show off. Like I want a demo. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a demo and a little bit of just like, 
human connection. Like, yeah. hey, there's a person that I know and trust. And and some of them have gotten really funny. Like there have been some where there's like background music and dancing going on and like different little bits of character that that I think tell a story of who we are. So I don't think that solves the problem you're describing, but it certainly scratches part of the itch. The other one, to your point, is that we do have a calendar channel that people use, in my opinion, almost like almost too aggressively, but in a way it's really useful where there are a lot of notes that are like, go into yoga, see you in three hours. And mm-hmm. it's not permission seeking. It's actually just signaling. And in some ways it's healthy signaling because other people would be like, oh, we can go to yoga during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can because we trust mm-hmm. you and you're an adult. So so that kind of stuff has been really interesting. The last thing that I was going to say is that... Um, and we've seen this at the ready, actually. Trying to do governance asynchronously through a tool has allowed larger numbers of people to do it without as much friction. Yeah. So if I took a team from 7 to 14 in the room, like with a client team in the room, the amount of time and energy and waste for, for governance would go through the roof. Like yeah. it would be it would be nonlinear. But if I go from 7 to 14 in Murmur, it's like, it's a little noisy, but it's not the end of the world, actually. It's the it's the meeting moments and the like collaborative moments that get a lot louder and a lot more inefficient. So I don't know what to do with that exactly, but I think it goes back to the point earlier about maybe we need to parse more carefully all the different activities we do together. And instead of having one team structure, we actually have more, which would fit with the trend of everything being atomized. Yeah. <laughs> um, right? In org design. Yeah. Yeah, I have to confess something to you right now about async governance. Yeah. Which is that as one of our circles has, in my opinion, become too large and too bloated in me. At least one. It has created social loafing around async governance. Totally. Because I'm like, whatever, like 14 other people are going to weigh in on this. Do I need to? I don't have to worry too hard. Yeah. I don't really have to. Whereas if it's like five people, I know that I will be missed and noticed if I don't show up and ask questions. When there's like 14 people, I'm like, I'm sure someone will ask. That is so interesting. And I'm in too many circles right now. And so I just, when they're too big, there's a thing that happens where it's like a real governing of the commons thing that kind of falls apart. That is fascinating. I totally agree. And I think I want, so I think there's like, probably a couple thresholds here. There's like an upper limit of the live meeting or the live moment and what humans can handle. There's probably an upper limit for a channel. There's an upper limit for a governance, an async governance moment. They all break at different points, maybe uh, on the scale curve, but they break for similar reasons around social relationships. And to your point, like being able to like lurk back in the shadows and not be noticed because, and also just to feel safe, like, it's very true that if I know that you and three other people that I really trust have already weighed in, my feeling that I need to weigh in goes way down. Way down. Like I'm just like, mm, I'm sure it's probably pretty good. Yeah. And the busier I am, the truer that is, right? Yeah. 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 So, so uh, probably something to just like watch and modulate. And if people self-report, I'm feeling like I don't count or like I don't need to weigh in or like I'm, you know, like there's enough coverage then maybe that's a signal that it's slightly too large. Totally. And we can totally. like dial it back. Yeah. And I also think this is where, and you know, that you can you all can hearken back to other episodes we've done that are more specifically about consent-based governance. But this is where something like groups and murmur and just being really thoughtful about governance becomes really important because of the dynamics that we're both mentioning in terms of, you know, our own 
deprioritization of certain things, but then also more dynamism in terms of pulling certain roles in depending on the context. So perhaps to like bring this full circle, I think the old school move is like, just add them to the team. Oh, we need digital marketing. Just add them to the team and they'll be Mm -hmm. here every week. Everything. They will want to die and they'll just be in all our Slack channels and in all our meetings and on every email distribution, just like add Daniel to the distribution. He's on the team now. I think a more interesting way to think about this is in a more atomized way. And like, there are decisions that come through, for example, to source that I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm not the person. I am not the person to weigh in on what our infosec policy (laughs) should be. You should, it doesn't matter that I'm source to it. You should leave me off of that decision. I have literally nothing to contribute that is important or smart or helpful, full stop. You should organize and I don't have a decision right over it anyway. You should organize around a governance decision, whether you're in a DAO or whether you're in a circle or whether you're in a traditional company to be like, okay, this is the moment to pull Daniel in and add him either to this decision-making meeting or to this decision in Murmur yep. because Daniel's consent and point of view is critically important. And very importantly, that does not mean that he is now a standing part of our team. So here's, you're giving me an idea because I think there's like, there's a spectrum here between going too far with that and ending up in chaos and, and not doing it at all, which is stuck in the old world, a way of thinking about this. So what, what I think is like in, in the chaos version, you're basically saying like, we have to figure out who decides every time. And if we brought Ted Rao back on the show, I'm sure we would have a long conversation about, we don't want that. Cause then it's like, who decides who decides all over again, every time we make a decision. But what if you in that position and every other member with an actual seat at the governance table in that circle could always opt to tag out and tag in someone, someone that you think better represents the context. I love so it. So it'd literally be like musical chairs where it's just like, or like, you know, tag team wrestling where you're like, you know what? Yes. Infosec, not my thing. Tag, you're it. I'm out yeah. for this one. Alistair, and I'm, I'm delegating literally. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. and then the next time a decision comes up, that's revert. Like that's over. That was a one time tag in, but really effective. Right. And using your consent, right. As a tool rather than just as like a form of power that you hold and wield exclusively. I love it. <laughs> nice. I think that's so smart. You're using the circle or team as the default decision-making body, but you're building in flexibility for dynamism based on the content. Dig it. So smart. Being smart seems like a pretty good place to wrap things up on this team size topic for the day. So let's, let's shut it down and put a bow on it. All right. Well, hopefully you all thought that was smart. We have a lot of smart (laughs) listeners. And given that you all are so smart, we know that you can write us a thoughtful and well-crafted review and we would really appreciate it. So please go do it if you haven't. Thank you so, so much. Bring out all your $10 words. Uh, a quick tip of that to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good today. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com, which is a team of about five or six people. Sure and is. as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. Change something.